It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Good evening, friends. Welcome to another edition of Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And school is out. The economy continues to work more opened up in our community, in our region, and summer is certainly here. So uh, we head into the summer optimistically as we're dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic and the availability of vaccine. But uh, as we have done for many months in the past year plus, we would like to begin getting you the very latest information on where COVID-19 stands in our community and making sure that we're as healthy and safe as we can be as we get ready to enjoy a wonderful summer here in the Tri-Cities area. And with us again tonight is our uh, go-to guest over the past 16 months, Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, why don't we begin tonight? You know, it seems like every Wednesday Day when we come on the air, there's some new little nugget of uh, breaking news, I guess would be the best way to describe it, but not so much this time. But I do know there are some concerns as school is out, as we're trying to raise the rates of vaccination. But why don't you just give us a scene, a scene setter, if you will, of where we stand right now? Uh, I guess we're in mid-June. Sure. Um, we can talk first about case rate, and we know our case rate is continuing to go down, so it's heading the right direction. We did see a a little bit of a blip, not much, out of the Memorial Day weekend. And we're facing Father's Day coming up very shortly and then on into the 4th of July weekend. You know, paired with the fact that the economy is going to start opening as the governor allows us to, appears, open up after um, the end of June. And at that point, I think it's going to be extremely important for people not to think that the pandemic is over. The economy is opening. We get um, to do more things because we're in a little bit of a safer situation than we were last summer, but it it doesn't mean we can let our guard down. And honestly, I think COVID, protecting ourselves against COVID in various ways, has got to be um, in the back of our mind all the time. Because in the world of public health, we're not just looking at what's happening today or in the next couple of weeks. I, in the world of diseases, are looking to the fact that in a couple of months we'll be into the fall season and flu season. So we just really need to keep being very careful with how we're conducting ourselves and and preventing the spread of that, especially with the the variants that we're seeing more prevalent, and that is definitely a concern to us. So then when we look at the the vaccines, where are we at mid-June regarding vaccines? And, you know, unfortunately, as a community, we do have one of the lowest vaccination rates in Washington state. And I think we need to look very closely at um, how risky that can be for our community. We want our economy to open up, but we also want to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones, our community, and our business owners. We need to take care of them and do what we can to stop the spread. And vaccine is is an absolutely safe, highly protective way to um, help protect our community. We're seeing such good outcomes with vaccinations that the the disease burden is not in the vaccinated person right now. Yes, there are the occasional breakthrough cases. We know that happens with vaccine, but they're still not in high numbers. 
where we're seeing the burden of disease now is definitely in the unvaccinated population. About 97% of cases right now is in that unvaccinated person. So we know it's a safe vaccine, it's a vaccine that works, and that's really the key to to ending this pandemic is, is we have to get more people vaccinated. Benton County, as we sit today, fully vaccinated, is about 44.9, so roughly 45% of Benton County, 16 and older, is fully vaccinated. Franklin County, fully vaccinated, is right at 38.1, so roughly 38% of the 16 and up is vaccinated. And that's that's about 10 points or more lower than the Washington state average. So we are definitely lagging um, behind the rest of the state. Why is that? You know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of discussion, a lot of pondering this. And there's many, many reasons, personal reasons that that we run into with people. Um, We also know that it is important to get the vaccines out to the individuals. And that's why we have all these pop-up clinics. The mass vaccination site did a wonderful job of reaching those people who were highly motivated and uh, were ready to stand in line to get those vaccines. But now, unfortunately, we're moving into the the more we've talked about the hesitant population, and, and that's the population that we're starting to see move along into getting vaccines. And then we're getting into that population that says, um, I'm getting close, but I'm not quite ready. And our message to them is with the, the, the thousands and hundreds of thousands of vaccines that have been given across the United States and really around the world, when you look at some of the outcomes, some of the negative outcomes of getting vaccinated, yes, they do happen. But compare that to the risk of catching the disease. It is, it is so risky to catch this infection. You're going to more likely have a bad outcome to getting the disease than any chance of that little bit of a risk of things that can happen when you get a vaccine. Yes, they're tragic when they do happen but you are more likely to have a very bad outcome to COVID disease than you are with the vaccines that we're using right now. And and the statistic that you just mentioned, and I know we've shared it from other population centers around the Northwest and the country, is that 97%, and I guess it goes without saying that that makes so much sense, that the vast majority of those new infections are people among the unvaccinated. So it just seems so logical to get it. At 600,000 plus people have died from what is now a vaccine preventable disease. And that just is, it, it is mind boggling that if we had had the vaccine sooner, we could have saved a whole lot of lives. We have the vaccine now and it's a way to save a lot more lives because we are continuing to have deaths within our community of um, you know, people who have not been vaccinated. And I guess it goes that cause and effect, as you touched on, that hopefully as the end of uh, June, early July comes and we can open up our economy more, you know, we still have to continue to make progress. And that is increasing our vaccination rates. Yeah, it's going to be even more important that we improve our vaccination rates as we get out and about more, as things open up, because we're going to be mixing with our our community, our friends, um, 
And when we see people getting together, having gatherings, picnics, um, different functions, that's where we start to see the spread happening. And we are following, continuing to follow several outbreaks in some businesses. You know, and still with school winding down, uh, we certainly will see less activity in that arena. But again, our our school-related concerns were mostly with the extracurricular activities that kids are involved with, sports, those types of things, not necessarily in that classroom environment. And I know you've touched on, as we get to open up and until we do fully, just, you know, what you're advising businesses, and, and, and I haven't really paid that close of attention, but is it up to the business if they want to continue to ask their customers to wear masks, they can do that? So again... The, the cause and the case for, uh, you know, showing grace? You know, there, there are certain businesses that, such as healthcare, that it is still required that we wear masks, we wear face coverings when we go into those healthcare environments. But I, I would really hope that people would understand that when you're going into a business and they're asking you to continue to wear masks, they're doing it for very good reasons. And to please honor that request you don't know what's driving that business to ask for continued masking. And we need to be respectful of those businesses. They've been through a lot over the last, you know, 16, 18 months. And cut them a little slack. And if they're still asking you to wear a mask, just do it for them. Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, we have one more segment of Heather's time to bring with her uh, to bring you more information. And when we come back, I want to spend a little more time talking about the the variants as we're trying to increase vaccination rate because I understand that is one of the major worries uh, with those lower unvaccinated numbers in our area. Back with more of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. A few more minutes with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, getting you the latest information on COVID-19 and the pandemic in our community. And Heather, uh, before we leave the topic, uh, can you give us an update? I know uh, reading nationally uh, some concerns, and there seems to have been since the, the vaccines have come out, the variants that are that are appearing, uh, uh, one from India, I know in the UK there has been one. Where are, are we seeing any of that here, and what's your level of concern with them? You know, we've certainly seen uh, variant activity in in the Tri-Cities, and we're watching it fairly closely. I think the two variants that have us, in general, concerned the most uh, across Washington State, and we've seen both of these. It's the the one from Brazil and the one from India. And we know that... um, you know, we watch very closely to see does the vaccine really help protect from the variants, and they seem to be doing a, you know a fairly good job of protecting at this point in time. We also look at these two variants and and worry about disease trends. Are they easier to spread? Do they cause greater morbidity, mortality? How dangerous are these different variants? Um, we know that the the gamma variant. Uh, seems to be associated with higher hospitalization rates, increased breakthrough infections, 
and does um, account for about 16% of cases in Washington State and is quite is rising quite quickly. So it's important for us to continue to look at these variants, and I think it is also a message to the community. If you've been hesitant or on the fence about getting vaccinated, this is just one more very, very strong reason why you should get vaccinated, not only to protect yourself from these more what appear to be problematic strains uh, of the virus, but also if, if we do get vaccinated, it will help stop the spread even of those variants. So there's several reasons why we, well, there are things we can do to help stop those variants from spreading, and it's definitely vaccination. And as we, you touched on with the economy, hopefully getting to be more and more open throughout the summer, and I think June 30th is uh, is the is the target that they're looking at for the state of Washington. That doesn't mean we're not going to continue how, to have cases. So put it in the right context, but once that becomes more open what you know what level of i guess context do we all need to understand i think we definitely need to realize like i said just because the economy is opening up doesn't mean the pandemic is over and we can go to life as it was there's we're going to continue to need to practice certain mitigation strategies probably for quite some time now. COVID isn't done with us, and I don't believe it's going to be done with us for a very, very long time. And we just need to accept the fact that um, in public health, we're always talking about the things you can do to keep yourself healthier, safer, you know, and that's always being wash your hands, cover your cough, keep your hands away from your eyes, your nose, your mouth, um, do whatever you can to prevent the spread. And I think we'll be including one more, and that's wearing face coverings. If you are not feeling well and you have to be out and about, then that's the time you need to consider wearing a face covering. And it's interesting. You know, we've seen such an improvement in right. our, our influenza case rate this past season. We just didn't see the flu at all circulating. It was amazing. I was really surprised. And we, we totally point to mask use as probably one of the reasons, one of the main reasons we didn't see it circulating. Plus, um, you know, people were home and they weren't out and about and schools were closed. And that certainly has an effect as well. And and we don't want to go back to uh, being isolated in quarantine. And so one of our better options is going to be considering face coverings as a more normal way of helping spread you know, prevent the spread of disease. That's an interesting point you raise about the flu, because I know in past years when we would talk in the fall period preparing for the flu season, I think you would tell me when you track school absenteeism, you get concerned relative to the flu when it gets to be about, I think, 10% absentee rate as a, as a level of concern with the flu. And we weren't even close to that this past year, were we? No. I mean, with, with schools not open, we just weren't tracking that data at all because there was no data. And our schools and our long-term care facilities kind of are our, our canary in the cave. There are sentinel sites in the community. When we start seeing activity increasing in those two environments, we know we have a problem within the community. And, and this year, especially in the schools, there just was no flu activity because, number one, students weren't together and it then didn't spread quite so badly. And oftentimes the kids get sick, they pass it to the family, it passes around the community. 
and and that just didn't happen this last flu season. One of your colleagues we visited with uh, on a recent program, Kathleen Clary Cook, who uh, knows all things uh, kid safety primarily, but family safety and summer safety. Um, And we touched on a lot of topics, but I know there's one that we didn't touch on that I think kind of comes into your realm as well. And that's, you know, people are going to be out to having picnics and, you know, there's food safety. And give us a little bit of a, we got a couple of minutes left, but maybe give us a little of a primer on that as as people get ready to barbecue and and have outdoor cooking functions and and picnics. You know, we, we didn't get to do it last summer, so we're looking forward to this summer. We have 4th of July coming up. We have Father's Day coming up. And and over the last year, I'm sure we've forgotten a few of our own food safety tips. So this is a good time to, to rethink what you're going to do at the, at the picnic. And it goes all the way from planning the safest foods possible to serve at your picnic. We always talk about keep hot foods hot and cold foods cold. When you're, you're planning your hot food items, you want to make sure you're cooking them to the proper temperature and then able to hold them at at least 135. Because if you're not able to hold them at that temperature, you really need to throw that food away in about two hours because it will start to grow bacteria and be problematic after that. Another thing you need to think about is that the foods that are in your cooler, kind of packed in your cooler, do you have raw meats that are getting a little too close to your uncooked food items like your salads, your watermelon, things like that? Cross-contamination of, of various food products we see oftentimes leads to, to foodborne outbreaks. And probably one of the biggest myths people don't realize is that Oftentimes, if you do get food poisoning, the food actually tasted just fine. Uh, You can't really taste something off when you've got a high bacteria count that is going to make you ill later, and so it won't necessarily look different, smell different, taste different, but it can certainly make you sick. And by all means, um, you will always hear me say, wash your hands, wash your hands, and then wash your hands again, because hands are a great way to pass uh, all kinds of germs around your picnic table. You're doing a lot of eating with your hands, serving with your hands, and hands, uh, dirty hands spread a lot of disease. As we have done uh, every time we conclude our comments with you, let's reflect. I know a year ago at this time, we were getting ready to hit the real thrust of, of COVID activity in this community, June and July. And a year later, I guess, you know, let's, finish this on a positive note, if we can, of where we are perspective-wise in the community right now. Maybe take that final minute to remind people where we've been and where we've come in this past year. You know, we've, we as a nation, a, a state, and a community have really been through something quite historical over the last 16, 18 months. And to see where we are today versus a year ago feels very, very good. Our, our community members have worked so hard to get us to this point where we're seeing less transmission, vaccines are happening. And I I think for us as a community, this is going to be a a much better summer. We have boat races to look forward to. We have the fair to look forward to. We get to have 4th of July with our friends. But let's all just keep doing what we know we need to do to, to keep us as a community as safe as possible. 
Well said, Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Thanks so much again for your time. And if you need to find out where you can get a vaccination, go to the bfhd.wa.gov, the health district's website, to find out all of the different locations over the next days and weeks where you can get your vaccination. Back with the second half of Cadillac on Call in just a minute. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program. We shift our focus from COVID to cancer, and June happens to be National Cancer Survivor Month. And I want to bring your attention to an event that will be happening on Friday, June fifth, June twenty fifth. Friday, June twenty fifth, from three to four thirty. It's a it's a program being put on by the Catholic Tri Cities Cancer Center. A virtual event focused on fear of recurrence, a survivorship session uh, for patients that not only when they get diagnosed, uh, what it's like as they recover and as they hopefully go into remission, but what that like is like that mentally to cope with a cancer diagnosis and that fear of cancer coming back. And doing the presentation will be Rob Dye, and Rob is a clinical social worker, and he comes to us tonight from Pocatello, Idaho, where he works with the Portneuf Cancer Center in Pocatello, and he's an expert in this topic, and he will be leading this presentation on the 25th uh, at 3 o'clock. And Rob, first, welcome to the program, but maybe just give us an introductory idea of, obviously, cancer impacts everyone, um, yeah. but what, what what's the key takeaway that you would share with our listeners tonight about the importance of, of this type of session? Well, first of all, as we, as we get better and better at early detection and early diagnosis and our and our treatments get better and better, then we have this growing uh, population of cancer survivors, you know. And so you think about what it's like to go through the journey of, of being diagnosed and treated and come out on the other end, uh, you know, encouraged and excited to be to be, you know, getting positive news and then and then yet that we we see this very common occurrence where people start experiencing this fear of recurrence you know they just went through such a hard journey and then there's always in the back of their mind this sense of of oh man now what you know kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop and and i know a lot of patients that i that i that i talk to get you know a lot of pressure from family and friends that they just need to be positive they just need to be you know optimistic and and in a sense that ends up them just suppressing this fear or anxiety about about anxiety or about the cancer returning and so in the in the work that I do with patients it's a it's a bit of a paradoxical approach where we turn and and face that fear we face that anxiety we take it on instead of trying to smother it under positivity or or run from it or just trying to you know stay stay so distracted that that it's not there because it's a normal part of the process you know once a person has felt the intensity of of that experience of being told they have cancer and going through whatever surgery, chemo, radiation uh, that they have to go through, it it creates a certain kind of response in a person's brain where where that kind of fear that that this could come back is is a, is a part essentially a part of their life now moving forward. So, but we do talk about some. We're going to be talking about some really specific things in this virtual program uh, that are that are super helpful. It was. It was really a treat uh, when I met with these 
survivors up there in Tri-Cities when we recorded this to to just see live in 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 person as I sat with these with these four individuals and to and to see the light bulb turn on 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 uh, ways to deal with with this anxiety. And what Rob is referring to is part of this program is they had four cancer survivors agree to be uh, uh, talking with him about their experience, and I'm guessing just talk about this particular topic and and address some yeah. of these these things that you're saying. And and maybe do they vary based on gender? Do they vary based on age and when and and how they were diagnosed with cancer? Yeah, we 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 tried to to select a bit of a variety. We have two gentlemen and two ladies that are that are on the panel and. Um, and one 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 uh, one man that had two cancers, and then a lady, a young lady actually that has already experienced recurrence. So you know she had been she had been told some good news, and you're kind of out of the woods essentially. And then within a short period, it was back. And so you know those kind of realities that set in. One gentleman with with two different cancers, and then one uh, one lady that had the the recurrence already at a young age. It just it's really neat to see, hear their experience, and to and to also be able to again, like I said, turn the corner a bit on on some tools and some psychological approaches to to manage that fear of recurrence and not have it take over their lives. We could probably spend another hour talking talking about some of these tools, but I guess that's why people should sign up for the event on yeah, June twenty fifth yeah. from three to four thirty. But but may, maybe take a minute or so if you would, and maybe highlight. If you could, just some of these tools that you use to help people get gain the proper perspective and approach. Well, the first thing we, we talk about doing is to is to validate, acknowledge and validate that that fear of cancer coming back is a normal part of the journey. That a person is not doing anything wrong if they have those kind of thoughts and feelings. That once your life's been touched by it, and and the doctors clearly tell you, no, this is something that could come back. That when the thought comes up that it's that uh, oh no, you know, what if this is it, or what if this or that, you know, all these scenarios that they think through. That that we're our first step is to try to eliminate some of the secondary painful emotions, like oh no, I feel guilty for worrying that it's coming back, or maybe I feel like I'm not being harder enough if I'm thinking that or I'm not being faithful enough or hopeful enough, you know. So just by by starting to say, look, this is a normal part of cancer survivorship. Uh, you know, if we were to survey a hundred cancer survivors and ask them honestly if they if they experience fear of recurrence, how many of them would say, you know, yes, yes I do. So it just it just highlights that it's normal and when we can when you accept something as a normal part of your journey then half the battle is over because you're not fighting against something that's 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 part of it, and that initiates the process of helping us calm that emotion and calm those thoughts in a way that they're manageable and and way less disruptive. And, and as you touched on the point of of accepting it and not you know I mean, obviously everyone wants a positive mental attitude, but you also want to be realistic. And does that not only go for the patient, but perhaps their family and their caregivers as well? Yeah, for sure. Yep, exactly. Yep. And we really, you'll hear us talking about this in the program, a slight difference between anxiety and, and fear. You know, anxiety tends to be that anticipation of possible scenarios that aren't really happening right now, but they could. 
so it has much more of that anticipation aspect than than fear does, even though we, we often call it fear of anxiety. But sometimes even putting in the right label of let's call this sucker what it is, which is which is just which is an anxious response, then then again that puts us on the track to to manage it. So so realism, but at the same time, optimism, you know, I guess is it, it's possible to have both, right? Yes, absolutely. In fact, we, it's, it, tends to, it, it ends up being easier to connect with the positivity when you're acknowledging the anxiety. You know, when you give, when you give the anxiety its rightful place, and it tends to reduce it, it tends to kind of shrink it up to what it is, as opposed to the tendency it has to grow when we shove it off and pretend like it's not there. So, yeah, when we acknowledge it, it brings it down to exactly what it is, this is this is anxiety that cancer can come back. Yes, okay. And then we land on really solid positive facts, you know, about, you know, well, what have they told me? And what did I, you know, when I went through surgery, they told me they got it all out, clear positive margins, cancer's gone. So we we land on solid positive facts and not not this fluffy positivity that's kind of like, well, well, you're a strong person, and you're great, and cancer doesn't know what it messed with when it messed with you. You know that kind of fluffy stuff that it feels good, but doesn't really doesn't really last. It kind of just fades away too quickly. So we we definitely land on solid, positive facts uh, because that is super calming to the brain when it's not fluffy and and fake. You know. We have just a couple of seconds left, but maybe just a, maybe a 30-second concluding takeaway for folks who might be, you know, may have just gotten a diagnosis and just hearing this program for the first time about it and that why they would want to be coming. Yeah, so I think they're going to get a great perspective seeing people that have that are that are real live cancer survivors that are that are talking about real scenarios. And to hear us talk in a group session about how to deal with that in a in a nice, smooth, open-ended way, I think they're going to come away with some some real connection and some real solid answers. So, well, we look forward to seeing you on uh, June 25th. We're going to talk about uh, talk with a couple of colleagues from the Tri Cities Cancer Center uh, momentarily. But Rob Dye, who is a clinical oncology social worker, who will be leading this presentation on June 25th from three to four thirty. And it will be held virtually. And if you'd like more information on how you can sign up, call 509-737-3483. That's 737-3483. Our thanks to Rob. We'll be back with more of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program, continuing our discussion on the fear of recurrence in cancer and all relative to survivorship for people who are diagnosed with cancer. We're going to go back to the phones and visit with a couple of colleagues from the Catholic Tri-Cities Cancer Center. First, uh, Joan Stewart, who is the Clinical Projects Coordinator. And Joan had an interesting discussion with Rob, who will be presenting on the 25th about this fear of recurrence. And and I know, how did you come up with the idea he'd touched on that... Um, the session that he came and participated with four uh, different survivors, how did you come up with that? What a powerful way to get this message across. It was. It was a very powerful event. Um, Rebecca, my partner in this venture, and I 
were so blessed to sit and watch him work with these four people he'd never met. Um, the four people in the room had never met one another. And how he brought their experiences together to illustrate how um, the person that's been through cancer treatment could almost be considered someone who's had a post-traumatic stress disorder now. And But he turned this into a post-traumatic stress opportunity where he helped them learn some emotional first aid. And it was it was just amazing to watch in front of us. As I said, he'd never even met these people before. So um, it, it's such an inspiring hour. It, it seems like a long time. We, we never intended to, to make a, an event that was an hour and a half long, but it, it was just so compelling. We couldn't stop. We just, we let it happen and it was beautiful. And so the event on Friday the 25th from 3 to 4.30, and again, it's a virtual event, and if people would like to sign up, uh, they can call 737-3483 to learn more about that. But the idea for this is are you obviously you want to talk to the patients or people that have been diagnosed with cancer, but is this also good for maybe their loved ones to sit in on as well? Absolutely. Um, I've had family members uh, have cancer. I lost my husband to cancer. I've worked in cancer care for 25 years, and very, very often people think, oh, you're done with that treatment. You're good to go. Let's go have fun. You're going to be your old self now. And so everybody's got something to learn from this um, because chances are if you haven't met someone or uh, have a family member that's had cancer yet, it very well could happen. Um, as we age, we age into a cancer occurrence rate of you know, higher, and so uh, we're an aging population. I hate to say it, um, and there's lots to learn on this. So, I think that it could even be used for other than the anxiety of uh, recurrence. I think that if someone were just having anxiety about a doctor visit or a COVID vaccine. There's lots that you can learn in this hour that you could apply to other things. That's a great point. And I want to bring to the to the conversation Rebecca Bowie, who is the survivorship nurse with the Catholic Tri-Cities Cancer Center. And, and spend a minute or two, if you would, Rebecca, just talking. This is uh, sounds like such a powerful program, but this is just one example of the survivorship work that is being done in this community to help cancer patients, right? Hi, Jim. Yes, that's correct. And I want to thank you for spending time with us to promote our event coming up. Um, one thing we've identified in our survivorship population is the most common concern that they have is, is the fear of recurrence. And that's why we chose this particular educational topic coming up here uh, during National Survivorship Month. But we, they have other concerns as well that they encounter during their post-treatment phase. And that's where survivorship program comes in. Uh, we have a program team that's multidisciplinary. It includes uh, the nurse, survivorship nurse, nurse navigators. We have physician representation, genetics, social worker, and rehabilitation medicine, uh, all part of that team that put together our survivorship program. We, I meet with the patient uh, for their survivorship visit and provide with them a treatment summary that outlines all of their treatment, their surgery, their radiation, chemotherapy, hormone therapy, immune therapy, everything that they've been through. So we review where they've been. And then we talk about 
their appointments become less and less. They've been used to seeing the chemotherapy nurse every week, the radiation nurse every day, the radiation therapist every day, and now they're asked to come back in three months. So that's where we can give them some tools to work with to know that they're going to have a plan to follow for their follow-up care where we're going to be looking for cancer recurrence and we're going to be get, getting them back on schedule for routine cancer screenings. Um, when was their last dental, vision, have they looked at vaccinations, cholesterol, and also keep in touch with primary care providers for an annual physical once a year. In the survivorship visit, we also talk about management of symptoms, if they're having any side effects, and education about any long-term side effects that they might expect to experience. Some chemotherapies can be hard on the heart. Some treatments can be hard on the bones and decrease bone density. And this is information they need to know going forward and what to look for and what screenings they need to have done for those. Well, I wish you the best. I hope you have a, a huge turnout. Again, this event is Friday, June 25th. It's virtual, so you can enjoy it from the friendly confines of your own computer, wherever that may be. It's from 3 to 4.30, and it's all part of National Cancer Survivor Month. Our thanks to Joan, and thanks to Rebecca for joining us tonight. Again, if you'd like to sign up, you can go to a website called tinyurl.com slash survivors event, or you can call 509 737 3483. Our thanks to our guests tonight, and thank you for listening to Cadillac on Call. We'll talk again next week.